surfing. <laughs> that you mean nothing to nature. <laughs> you are entirely insignificant. <laughs> you think you're important. You think you're special. And then you just get punched. And and a wave and the ocean is so strong. It didn't even see you there. It wasn't even trying to get you, right? It's You, you learn the absolute absurd irrelevance of <laughs> everything that you sort of stand for against nature. And, and I think it, it helps you remember your place in the natural order of things. Welcome to the Great and Famous Podcast. I'm your host, Jim Thompson, and together we share your stories of the everyday people that changed your life. We reconnect you with your greatest influence, recognize their generosity and lessons, and inspire others to do the same. It's practical wisdom from people you never heard of, aka the Great and Famous. Welcome to the Great and Famous. I'm your host, Jim Thompson, and I thank you for dropping by for the first episode of season two. Today, we're going to meet a special woman with a reputation for not only having the right answers, but asking the right questions. She couldn't be a better fit for this podcast because as you know, uh, or soon will, if this is your first time, this show is about undiscovered lessons that you can apply to your own life. So how do we discover them? Well, we talk to memorable people who took the time to leave their mark on others. And then we find out who left a mark on them. Then we talk to their great unfamous and learn how and why they did it. So today we're going to talk with one of the most powerful people in media. She reinvented social measurement back in the day with her company Shareably in 2013, which was acquired by Comscore in 2021, where she's now CMO. Her awards are numerous, but none more impressive than the organization she founded, Wimlink, which has helped thousands of women connect and advance in the media and tech space. People describe her as authoritative, a force, a leader, somebody who gets things done. Now that's impressive, but this isn't your garden variety, take no prisoner CEO. If you dig further, you see the most common themes are, she's a storyteller, a mentor, a hero. One of her LinkedIn reviews put it best. She is someone who takes a stake in the success of others. That's been my experience with Tanya Yuki, a woman whose path to success has been based on lifting others up and helping people find their own answers. So let's meet the brightest voice in media and find out how she came to be that way. Tanya, thank you so much for joining me. I'm so excited to reconnect because this is going to be a lot of fun. Super excited to to be chatting, Jim. And I feel like after that intro, we should probably just stop there because I don't think it's going to get better than that. So. <laughs> no, Tanya, I disagree. I think you just started, <laughs> honestly. But yeah, that's part of this is to recognize the the great things that you do and the people that you've helped. Uh, and that's part of what this podcast is all about. So we don't often take time to thank people for what they've done for us or what they mean. And this is this is one way to do it. So look, Tanya, you and I've known each other for some time, always had a tremendous respect for you as an entrepreneur, a, a data expert, but most of all, as a person of, of high values. And I don't know if you remember this, but it was probably four or five years ago and I was struggling. I was leaving Billboard Hollywood Reporter after about six years, a company that I thought I, I might never leave. And I wasn't sure where to go or what even I wanted to do. 
Uh, the one thing I did know is I wanted to talk to you. And so you were very kind, very thoughtful, and asked all kinds of probing and helpful questions, including one that at the time felt like being doused with a bucket of ice water. Uh, so you asked me what I really wanted to do. And I said, well, you know, I think I want to write a book. Do you remember what you said back to me? I do not. No. Okay. What you said was, that's amazing. The world needs more of you, which is a very kind thing to say. And then you said, when can I read it? And that question hit me like a ton of bricks because it, it went from, oh, this is a really cool thing that I think I might like to do. And you're like, oh, that'd be amazing. When can I read it? That has circled back through my mind again and again. I've told the story about how you punched me in the mouth with a, with a question <laughs> with it I was not expecting. And uh, so tell me, do you do that often? You've got to give advice <laughs> all the time. The fact that you move me from great compliment to get off your ass when you're going to do it. How do you, how do you think through when you talk to people with about advice like that? Listen, um, so I, I, it sounds exactly like what I would have said. Uh, it, it definitely sounds familiar. Listen, you know, I'm, I'm a big believer on too many great ideas, great companies, great novels, great anythings die on the vine because they didn't get enough oxygen. They didn't get enough support. Um, you know, the right person wasn't it wasn't inspired to sort of jump off at that point. You know, I, I talk to a lot of would-be entrepreneurs who always sort of say, you know, how do you know when you're ready to do it? And you're like, you're ready right now, go do it. Right? <laughs> like you're never ready, you know. And and I guess I'm, you know, if I'm reflecting on what I must have been thinking as we were chatting, you know, with your background, with your experience, with the I guess the probative way that you approach research and insights and understanding people, obviously that's the sort of thoughtful person that should be adding to the things that people put in their minds. Right. So that was, and I, I probably, it was probably quite genuine. It's probably not intended to hurry you up, but I, I was probably just genuinely going, I need good stuff to read. Like, come on, <laughs> you know, help me out here. <laughs> well, um, I imagine you, you've probably done that many a time to <laughs> speed things along as people say you get things done yeah no listen it's but i mean you know action inspires me a lot of people learn in different ways um you know i definitely was very bookish uh, growing up but i i also i think very much learn things by doing and so you know i'm just a huge fan of supporting people to take the leap and you know particularly when it's someone who obviously should be doing that thing and and maybe for whatever reason is caught up doing other stuff you know it's it's yeah I, I probably do view it as a little bit of my duty to to point out something that seems very obvious to me you know even if it isn't obvious to that person and and thankfully I'm sure lots of people do that to me as well I thank you for taking the time and I thank you for that for that advice and those questions, they, they really have served me greatly over the last several years. Glad to hear it. As I look back at your career and you've been interviewed many times, so many people have, and I feel like many of them miss the best part of your story. 
And that is the, the person who asks really smart questions, who listens, who tells a great story, genuinely wants to help. That's really rare, especially for a founder and a CEO. So how much of your success do you credit to your ability to relate to people versus solving difficult problems? I think I think they're pretty paired together, right? Like I think, you know, if I think about, I look across my career and, and try and connect the dots. In the last couple of years, probably tie together a little better, right? I worked in research. I quit to found sort of a research company and I'm, I'm now in research and insights. But prior to that, I mean, I was in film development. I studied to be an attorney. I had all sorts of um, seemingly random things, but I think, you know, any, any business or any pursuit comes from wanting to understand what a person is going through, trying to have empathy for that experience. And in some cases, it's writing a book to reach people, or in other cases, it's building a product that would help, you know, get a certain job done or or whatnot. And I think, you know, I think if if you're not interested in really going deep with what your audience or your customer or your viewer is going through, I think it's very, very hard to sort of connect and solve the big problems because you, you know, then it's more about you, I think, than it is about who you're trying to to reach and help. Um, so they're pretty commingled. But as I look across my career, I sort of go the one thing that unites almost everything that I have done is this uh, leaning in on sort of enjoying telling stories and it sometimes was with words and you know in other times uh, it it was with insights and research and other stuff but it, it was all sort of using whatever the medium is to connect the dots and try and make sense of what's happening um, in the world and I think that's that's probably my jam and I think it turned out for a while that founding a company to do that was my fastest and most effective path to getting that done. But if I could have met that need, perhaps, you know, staying in the company that I was at before I founded Shareably, I, I might have done it, right? But it turns out I couldn't have gotten it done in that way, which was why that that seemed like the best path. There's only so many people that can can access you directly, but your thoughts and the way you think through problems and the way you connect it with the people that you're talking to, even when we were a client, you would, you would listen very intently about the problems we're trying to solve. And you wouldn't just plug us into the cookie cutter answer you already have. You would literally think about like, well, it does most of that, but there's a piece it doesn't do. And I'm going to talk to somebody about it see if we can plug that last piece. So you really do come across so genuine and so earnest in your interest to help people. Oh, that's, that's wonderful to hear, but it's, I mean, it, it definitely, it's still true today, you know, and it, and that's, and that's really the fun part of it as well, right? It's, it's, you know, really understanding and, you know, and, and the more that you can learn about certain things in this case, it's data, the more you can sort of figure out how to smush it all together to potentially get to where someone's trying to go. And, you know, that's, that was always the fun part of data. Like it wasn't, I didn't love math at all growing mm. up. I wasn't interested in it. And I only got interested in it much later 
when I realized the things that it could help me achieve, you know, from, from a storytelling standpoint, um, ironically, you know, there's that, there's that theme popping up again. Yeah. The story, the story is everything. And I came at it from a slightly different direction where I born and raised as a journalist and a writer, editor, reporter, and sliding into analytics at one point and realizing that, wait, this information is just another, it's just another story. It's just told in numbers, but it tells a very meaningful story. And especially if you can translate that back into text or video or audio, that's really helpful to people to, to say, no, 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 these aren't numbers. It's a story. That's where the value is. As, as a founder of a social analytics company, uh, now as CMO at Comscore, people look to you for answers, but there has to be times when you don't have the answers that people are looking for. And could you tell me about a time when you realized, oh crap, I have no idea (laughs) what the answer is. Gosh, I feel like that's my daily experience. (laughs) 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 Well, but it, it actually, it does touch on something that I have been weighing that is worth speaking about. Um, one, because I experienced it starting my company and I'm sort of experiencing it again. And it's it's terrifying and also wonderful, right? So if you think about, you know, who ends up founding a company, it's usually you were a good product person or you're a good salesperson or you're a good engineer or whatever it is. Like you were, you were pretty good, maybe even really, really good at this one specific thing that was valued. And you're like, okay, now I'm going to go start this company. And you do. And suddenly your head of finance is asking you about things to do with accounting principles and you've got all these HR questions coming at you and you've got this management team that knows more than you do at lots of things and they're looking to you to solve their problems and you suddenly realise you're like a solid C- minus at pretty much everything else. (laughs) (laughs) And there's um, there's a lot of psychological wear and tear there where you go, how do I you know, how do I face this? You know, I think hopefully you are cool with not being great at stuff as a person and hopefully it's not as much of a blow to your ego, but I'm sure that there's part of that, right? But mostly it's like, how can I be useful when my only value here is to ask questions that help others get to the right answers because I don't know what the right answers are and I don't even know what the words are and I'm going to leave this room and probably Google half the words that you just asked me, you know. Um, so that that was useful and I'd say, you know, and then then you eventually sort of get the hang of it and, and you reach a certain plateau. But it's interesting now being back at Comscore where I'm not an expert on all of the data sets. Um, you know, I, I used to know a ton about certain parts of our data sets, but we've massively expanded that since then. And, you know, a lot's really evolved. And I just find myself in meeting after meeting going, what's this acronym? What's that, you know, and and what, why did we decide to do this versus that, you know, and, and just realizing that you're a beginner again. Um, and I think there's something just fabulous about that, um, you know, because I think being in any leadership role doesn't mean having all the answers, right? It means hopefully trying to be useful to synthesize the themes and, you know, frame up the right 
work streams and other sorts of things and then just being humble and, and trying to learn as as much as you can and being a sponge um so that's that's actually a really happy space for me that sort of no expectations kind of learning phase um but yeah it's sometimes some days it's brutal where you're like I don't know how to remotely add value like I should just leave but I won't because I really want to know the answers so I'm just gonna keep asking questions you know <laughs> Having the 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 self awareness and the the confidence to say I don't know is really a strength that will lead to more learning and more knowledge that you can that you can process. You know, one of my one of my favorite podcasts is the Tim Ferriss podcast, and and I'm always amazed for you know an incredibly intelligent guy uh, who has you know millions of subscribers and followers. He has no shame whatsoever at saying like, wait, I don't know what that means. You just said something. I've never heard that word, or I don't know what that acronym is, or can you explain to me? It's breathtaking when he asks the same exact question I was going to ask, like, I don't know what that is. I have no idea what that is. And I think it helps everyone, right? Because I think, you know, to some degree in lots of scenarios, people are walking around feeling like that they know so much less than other people. And it's like, there's something very cool and leveling about being able to be transparent about that and to, and to realize that it's not a weakness to not know, you know, it's a weakness to pretend that, you know, and not be able to contribute properly because you're just afraid someone's going to ask you a question. (laughs) So like, are you ready to have a little fun, Tanya? (laughs) Yes, let's do it. All right. So you are a master student, always learning, asking, absorbing information, right? I want to give you some names, name some sources, and you tell me what's one thing you learn from them. Okay. Iggy. <laughs> you mean my cat, Iggy? Yes. <laughs> oh my God. Um, What did I learn from Iggy? I learned that you could be the most unpleasant, unhappy, like just not perfect being and still be worthy of love. (laughs) So this was a cat who was like just would bite people because he felt like it was always in a bad mood like my dog who is the nice they're both unfortunately passed now but my dog who's like the happiest nicest dog in the world like Iggy would just go and punch him in his sleep for no reason like just punch him and I adored this cat for like (laughs) your mom oh gosh Uh, so the biggest thing that I learned from my mom that I still learn from my mom, um, is how to see the positive in everyone and in every situation. My mom is like a grown up Disney princess. Like she just, and she's naturally like that, right? Like she, I'm sure at some point in her life, she probably worked really hard at it, but my mom, like growing up, I don't remember my mom being angry once at me. I don't think she yelled at me once. Um, and I was not a super easy child. So it wasn't like it was a cakewalk, but I think just knowing how to manage your state and find like find optimism and hope in every scenario 
like as a teenager, I remember just finding it incredibly frustrating. Like she was hiding her real feelings. Like she was really suffering and she was just like smothering. And I would get so mad about that. <laughs> and then as I grew up, I was like, no, she's just better than me. <laughs> you know? That's the real her. That's the real her. And it's who she is from the inside. Um, and yeah, like that's particularly, you know, when I, had a kid a couple of years ago. I mean, that was my biggest fear going into that. It's like, how on earth do I possibly, you know, emulate any of that? Um, so that's, you know, that's definitely my North star around it and, and something that I'm always thinking about how I can, how I can be better at and how I can not get so taken up by the moment and swept away and, you know, really kind of keep that grounding and that big picture. Surfing. <laughs> that you mean nothing to nature. <laughs> you are entirely insignificant. <laughs> you think you're important. You think you're special. And then you just get punched. And and a wave and the ocean is so strong. It didn't even see you there. It wasn't even trying to get you, right? It's you, you learn the absolute absurd irrelevance of <laughs> everything <laughs> that you sort of stand for against nature. And, and I think it, it helps you remember your place in the natural order of things. COVID. Ooh, um. COVID taught me a lot about stillness. Um, now I'm going to conflate motherhood with COVID because I gave birth on in April 2020. So a lot of it was conflated. But I think learning how to be still, how not to, how to achieve much more with less movement and more introspection and more reflection. Um, I think leading up to COVID, you know, I was sort of the, whatever it is, you know, seven months pregnant or whatever, like running to make meetings in Manhattan, you know, like I was sort of doing that, still getting on planes, running around, nothing wrong with that. But for me, the challenge and what I took away from COVID was just how much you can strip away from all of the effort that you exert physically, psychically, you know, all the moving, all the planes, all the taxis, all the packing and unpacking and the hotels and all of that. Um, and I think just centering around the intention of what you want to achieve and how you want to add value and questioning whether all of that movement is necessary to get to where you're trying to get to. Um, and I think realizing that you could probably eliminate 80% of it, maybe more you know, and maintain your center and still be able to achieve comparable results. So I think that was my big, that was my big aha. How about Ben? Oh, God. <laughs> um, I think just letting go of any idea that I have any ability to control what anyone else does. You know, I think sometimes you delude yourself in leadership to think that you can, you know, mandate what happens or set a course and just have people follow, right? And, and that's that was always erroneous, by the way. But the second you're faced with this one-year-old or two-year-old who just 
doesn't care. Um, and and it's it's such a humbling, interesting experience of learning just how fully formed we come into this world, how completely how completely packed of ideas and intentions and preferences and you know all of that sort of stuff and that no one really needs anyone to tell them what to do right and and the idea that you could ever do that or that if you ever did it it was ever a good idea is just crazy um so i think letting any like letting go of any possible I- idea of controlling other people in any way shape or form and you know and just really sort of celebrating how how each of us comes into the world all individual and different and wacky and perfect that's a great lesson (laughs) you're like oh you want you want him to wear socks do you yeah (laughs) that's not gonna happen yeah (laughs) not interested in socks no thank you (laughs) And like, it's like all the right reasons. Like I'm completely in the right, you know, and it's like, (laughs) well, that's great. Thank you, Tanya. So when I introduced you to the audience today as, as one of the most powerful people in media, um, I did that intentionally because that's how I see you, not one of the most powerful women in media. So how do you picture yourself? Do you, do you picture yourself as a great female leader? or a great leader who happens to be a woman? Uh, Well, it depends on the day whether great is involved or mildly competent. (laughs) Oh, I mean, look, it's a great question. I think for many years I very much shied away slash was very uncomfortable in really sort of leaning in on differences and, you know, was I a leader or was I a female leader? And I think, uh, you know, I think, running a company, like founding a company, growing a company, I sort of started to become a little more tuned in really on some of those differences. Um, You know, I think, I think at the end of the day, everyone's style is different. Um, You know, we're all, we're all just people, but I think that, I think that, you know, one thing that I've taken very seriously um, has been the importance of being visible, the importance of talking about things like leadership style because the spectrum of potential leadership styles for men is just, it's a universe, right? Like there's just so many different models that we have for what an acceptable leadership style is and, and all of that. And I think I think we're still, you know, I think we've made huge amounts of progress, but I think we're still evolving um, around what some of those dynamics are for women. Um, so I, I do think that that is an important hat to wear. Um, but no, like I've never thought of myself, you know, it's like I I wanted to be top of my class, right? I didn't want to be the best girl in class or <laughs> the best female student, right? Like I wanted to top my class in college. I didn't want to be the top female in the thing. So I, I think that we always compete um, you know, across the spectrum. But I do think that there are certain things that are extra important to be mindful of and things that, you know, we can definitely support the next generation of women more on. And I, you know, I I hope to help as much as I can there. That leads me to my next question, which was really, as you look at the thousands of members, 
in in your Wimlink organization, do you do you ever pause to think about the impact that you've had on those lives, and that it could someday maybe be your greatest achievement? No, I'm just constantly depressed that I'm not doing more. <laughs> Um, look, I've certainly over the years, you know, made connections with people that have come to events and have taken action. Like that's the thing that makes me the most excited is when you hear from someone who says, hey, you know, one of your speakers said this to me or said this at this event and I really put it into practice and now, you know, I did X, Y, Z in my career, I actually decided, like there was one great story where I was talking to a woman who felt after having gone to an event and spoken about a few things, like she somehow mustered the confidence to quit her job and start a company, you know, and I was like, well, I hope that was a good thing. (laughs) (laughs) Um, You know, and it was, it was still early, but she was so proud of herself and so excited and so so ready and it had somehow given her the push that she needed to just go. Um, so that was really, that was really exciting to me that, you know, there's so much power in stories and sometimes there's so much power even in strangers hearing your story and saying, yeah, you can do this. Right. So, so that's been wonderful, but, you know, I think one thing that I have been grappling with over the years at events has been the amount of similarity in the questions that consistently come up. And like, like, like what? Uh, so great question. I can tell yeah. you because I was just noting this down. Themes around what to do if you feel like you're not being taken seriously, right? How do you, you know, move through not feeling seen or not feeling like you're being heard appropriately. Um, you know, there were, there were others around, you know, how do you get the confidence to dot, 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 dot. Um, so there are a lot of things around, around that. And like, that was, that was something that I viewed as a big departure point. Cause I was like, gosh, I feel like, you know, this event, seven years ago, asked and answered, move on, right? Like, Mm -hmm. so I was like, how do we make it so that there's actually progress over time? Or is it, or is this just, you know, is this going to be just a collective consciousness raising over years where, you know, the next generation maybe struggle with different things and we answer some things. Um, But a lot of what we, what we hear, you know, from, from a lot of the attendees at events are centered around, not feeling ready, not feeling like you're good enough. And then the downstream sort of collateral damage that comes from that. That's always a, you know, it's a big thing. It's like, how do you address confidence? How do you address readiness? How do you feel like you're worth being paid attention to, you know? And yeah, it's, it's definitely the biggest thing that, that comes up and, you know, and my my answer is always the same. Right? Like, what do you do if someone doesn't take you seriously? Like make them take you seriously. I <laughs> just, and I don't know if that's helpful, right? But but it's just like it's there's no there's no magic pill, right? It's just um, you know, we we got that. You'd always get that question fundraising, like what do you do if someone wants to discriminate you against you because you're a woman or because whatever, and you're like trust that they want to make money more than they want to discriminate against you, and if you can get your pitch right, then the math will work out. Um, but it's never, you know, it's never as simple as, as that, right? It, it's it's always a a lot more 
complicated. Yeah, you have to take yourself seriously. You have to take yourself seriously. If you want others right? to take you seriously. And it all comes back to that confidence, um, you know, and, and the power of gathering with others and being supported. You know, it's like that's not that's not nothing. You sort of go, well, this person's supporting me and they don't even know me and I don't even know if they're qualified to support me. Like no one even thinks about that. Right? It's like just having that human see you and say that you can do something means a lot to, you know, to pretty much all of us. And I think there's often not enough uh, opportunities for, for that to happen if, if you're not already getting it from your, you know, immediate, your immediate network. You talk about that downstream collateral damage from the lack of confidence or the lack of feeling that you are worthy of being there is, is doing battle with that voice in your head. And I don't know who said it, but I remember all thoughts are not true. Whoa, that just, <laughs> that just totally blew my mind because, well, it's a thought that ran through my head, so it must be true. No, your your brain tells you all kinds of untrue things every day. And if you can't filter them out or be aware that like, no, no, you're, you're telling yourself a story. It's an interesting story, but it's not true. The ability to just be aware of it is the first step to like building that self-confidence to like, no, 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 no. That's a false story. That is not true. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's interesting too, though, because, and I think that's, that's a great way of putting it. Like another way of thinking about it actually goes back to roles that we've both had, right. Which is research where you go, what's, what am I optimizing for? What's my outcome? If my outcome is never to be humiliated and always to be a hundred percent safe and never to have anything uncomfortable ever happened to me, maybe this is the right thing for me to do. I should just sit in this room and never go out ever again and never say anything, right? Because if I don't say anything, nothing bad can ever happen. So you go, depending on what you're optimizing for, you know, it's like, and your brain is oftentimes optimizing to protect you and and you have the your prehistoric brain, right? Just kicking oh. in and like your lizard brain. There you yeah. go. Thank you. I was like, there's some sort of reptile. I'm like, I'm <laughs> like kicking in and trying to essentially, you know, protect you in, in that way, but it's not trying to help you advance, right? It's not trying to help you grow. It's not trying to help you be self-actualized um, because those are not things that it was ever programmed to maximize mm. for. You know, so you're like running this program and you're listening to these instructions to your point, this voice that's coming through in your head, but it's not trying to get you to where perhaps you might be wanting to go. Um, and it's it's bad for life and it's pretty bad for research too, right? If you're optimizing for the wrong <laughs> results, you're going to get bad recommendations, you know? That's, that's the part of your brain that's teaching you how to not be eaten by a bear. Right. Not teaching you how to successfully navigate your life or career. Exactly. But it sounds really real, right? When it, it kicks sounds in. incredibly real. It sounds like the realest thing you hear all day, that voice. It's not always trustworthy. Well, Tanya, your your personality, your drive, your IQ, your EQ, your sense of humor, all of all of those things that make up who you are today. Is there one person alive today that that you would say had the most significant impact on your life? I mean, it would have to be a combination of one of my parents, right? It's, you know, my mom who I think 
helps me continue to round out some of my edges and think more holistically about, you know, situations and the world and people. And my dad taught me how to fight, right? Like he he's sort of very much the opposite. He He's probably the part of, you know, me that kicks in when you're like, oh, I just heard no to a question that I'm pretty sure we can get a yes to, or, you know, there's a tough problem that's not easy to be solved. Like, obviously I just need to keep banging my head against it until I can, can do that. You know, I think that, that was a very, you know, I think my dad in, in that way was, continues to be very, very influential there in that he always supported no matter how harebrained, no matter how wacky, no matter how left field, like ideas that I wanted to pursue, things that I wanted to look into or um, not give up on. A bunch of years ago, Jim, so I'd written a short film script and it was like, um, it was essentially modelled on this concept. So my mum's, so my parents are now in their 80s, right, but uh, when they met, again, even back then, completely wrong. Like she, traditional, wealthy Japanese family, he fled Croatia, Tito, grew up with no shoes, like poor, 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 like no reason why they should ever get together. And so I sort of wrote this short film that was centred around this concept of what if they hadn't met then and what if they met much later, would they still have seen in each other like what they saw or would they have just gone obviously this horrible idea like no you know and when I was casting it this was when I was still in Australia I just I couldn't cast it it was impossible to find a 70 something year old Japanese woman who could play my mom so my mom had to play my mom in this short film and I said to her oh it's just this student thing it's just this little idea no one will ever see it and, of course, it got picked up by this huge film festival circuit. She ended up on the cover of the Australian oh newspaper. <laughs> she was just horrified. She was like, I just agreed to do this to help you. You didn't tell me this would happen. You know? <laughs> is that still out there? The short <laughs> film is probably online somewhere. I'll see if I can find a link I to would it. I love a link a while if you ago. got it. That would, that would be amazing. <laughs> um, but, yeah, she's still, she was like, <laughs> so miffed about that and so horrified <laughs> <laughs> what a great concept though that it was you... it was a fun it was this I was kind of at the time toying just with this concept of you know is there one person for people you know or is it just where you are at that point and you know so it was just kind of toying with that theme so um I think you know a, a lot of that support like it never really occurred to me to question whether I could do something or whether I was qualified or whether I was smart enough or whether I was any of those. It just wasn't, it just wasn't something that was ever part of my experience or any of the talk that I heard. Um, and I think that that's definitely been very critical, you know, particularly coming to a new country and having to sort of build connections from scratch and community and, not knowing how to open a bank account or not knowing what a social security number is because we don't have those in Australia, believe it or not. <laughs> um, you know, I think all of that sort of confidence around how to just move through stuff and feel like no matter what it is, I can find the answer to it. 
um, I think definitely, you know, was instilled in me from, from pretty young and, and supported throughout. That confidence. I, I guess you could call it that. Yeah, I guess you could call it that. But it, it is it is very, you know, it, it has been something that's been very interesting to me over the years of just imagining how things would be without that, you know, and, mm-hmm. and how you would navigate things if the first question I was asking myself is, could I, can I do this, right? Like, I think that would, that would just be so much harder for sure. And frequently I can't, by the way, and I'm not the right person, but I think having that sense of, no, 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 if I put my mind to it, I can figure this out. You know, it, it, it helps you solve much more than you would, you would imagine. That's, that's a tremendous gift to give your child. I am. Yeah. Thinking about that more and more now that you have a kid where you're like, how do I react to this thing? You know, what do I do? And you're like, okay, well, what am I maximizing for? Right. It's, you want your, you want your kids to be high functioning. You want them also to be kind and thoughtful. And it's like, how do you, how do you balance all of those things, you know, so that you don't, you don't raise a high performing sociopath, but you also don't, right. But but it's, it's a balance, you know. <laughs> If Ben's ever listening to this, right? Like that was at least the intention. <laughs> my intents were my intentions were good. Right? <laughs> I can't promise the results. Exactly, right? It's, it's all an experiment. Tanya, you've you've been very generous with your time as as always, as you you have been. Let, let me wind things down with with a final question. If there's a person out there who wants to break into a field where they're an outlier. You know, maybe they play the flute and rap, you know, maybe they're a five-star pet chef, uh, or maybe they just don't look like most of the other people in their field. What's, what's something they could do that would make you proud? Um, well, I think, you know, other than having already done a lot of the hard work about getting to be at a level of, you know, proficiency that sounds amazing Um, I feel like whenever you don't know how to get to what's next, whatever that next, next thing is, I feel like reaching out and talking to as many people that have done similar things, ancillary things, impressive things that feel like they're magical and just getting 10 minutes with them, 15 minutes. I mean, now in in the world of Zoom, I feel like this must get even easier, right? Because it's not like you need to, you know, really um, ask for a lot of time. I feel like the, the biggest thing that anyone who's done something can give anyone else who wants to do something is a glimpse into exactly what that process was with the takeaway being that it's just not magic, right? Anyone who has done anything that you want to do but don't think you can or don't know how to just knows the steps to take to get there. And those steps might not be obvious and you might not even know that you took those steps because you did them automatically or they just immediately made sense to you. But I'd say getting as much exposure to people that have done things that you that you hope to achieve or that are similar, you know, one makes it possible in your brain Two, it gives you like a, a prototype or a, a sort of a, a way, a path to, to start taking action. And then just 
doing a part of it as quickly as possible, right? It's like success begets success. When you have a tiny incremental win, like the universe starts just rallying around you and helping you find the next piece. And that first step is, is often hardest. So, you know, again, like I come back to something that we talked about up front, like we need more talented people to make the world a better place. We need more writers. We need more artists. We need more technologists. Um, you know, if, if people have those things sitting inside of them wanting to go out, like let it out, you know, we, we need more of this for, to make a, you know, a better, more efficient, more empathetic society and if you have that inside of you it's kind of crappy to not let it out because you're sort of robbing the world of what what you're capable of bringing to it Um, and I think once you stop it being about you and your ability to succeed and you sort of shift the focus there I think I think that also changes some of the math outstanding what a terrific roadmap to the next step you don't have to solve it just got to take the next step. Right. Just get started, you know? Well, Tanya, this has been a breath of fresh air. I've been so looking forward to talking to you. I wanted you to, to know how much your conversations meant to me and, and share your greatness with, with everyone else, as well as now I have a better feeling of where it comes from. From. Oh, thank you. And such great questions. And I, 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 now I remember that conversation, but I'm, I'm so thrilled to hear about it. And I mean, it's, listen, it's, it's always a process, right? Like it's, it's always, you're always evolving and it's always a process. And I think it's incredible that you're, you're trying to do, you're trying to sort of draw out everyone's process from them to help so many people. It's a terrific mission. Well, thanks. We're just uh, we're just getting started, both of us, right? Always. Well, Tanya, thank you very much for your time. Thank you for everyone that's listening, and just let it out. Listen to Tanya. Don't think. Oh, go. Just go. <laughs> Nothing bad will happen. You probably won't get eaten. It'll be fine. <laughs> <laughs> Great advice, Tanya. Thank you very much. Thanks so much, Jim. Thanks for listening. Before you go, I would ask you to please do one thing. Please consider this simple question. Who is the most influential person in your life? When you have that answer, I would love to tell your story. You can nominate Your Great Unfamous on Twitter or Instagram at gr8unfamous. If you want to do it privately, there's a link for that as well. But if you do none of that, at least let this person know what they mean to you. It could mean the world to them. Until the next episode, take care and be kind.